Welcome to Open Studios, a podcast brought to you by PerformView, the digital home for experimental performance. My name is Asia Stewart. I'm a performance artist and the founding artistic director of PerformView, and I'll also be your host. Every episode, I'll be sitting down with a different artist to take a virtual step inside their studio to learn a little bit more about their practice and motivations. And in this episode, I have the pleasure of sitting down with Yali Romagoza. Yali Romagoza is a Cuban-born interdisciplinary artist currently based in Queens, New York. Romagoza graduated with a master's degree in fashion, body, and garment from the School of the Art Institute of Chicago in 2016 and holds a BA in art history from the University of Havana, Cuba. Romagoza's work reflects her interest in confronting issues related to migration, diaspora, and the trauma of displacement and estrangement from home. Bridging multiple disciplines, Romagoza combines performance, installation, video, photography, and costume design. Throughout her vibrant career, Romagoza has never been afraid to challenge art institutions or interrupt public space with unsanctioned performances. Welcome, Yali. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Of course, of course. And are you speaking currently from your studio at EFA or are you somewhere else right now? Right now I am from my home because um, I have a long day and there's been a lot going on. So I'm not from the studio today. Okay. Okay. Amazing. And how have you been settling into the studio? It's been quite uh, incredible. Uh, I remember the time that you went and we have like this um, brief meeting. Nothing was on the walls and now it's everything is up and it's exciting. I've been receiving visits from people and it's been really incredible to reflect on these past 10 years and having um, a conversation through my process of making uh, the art that I'm doing now and this body of work that is so um, powerful and intense for me to share uh, and to see like every day, it's really weird, but exciting. Mm -hmm. And to be reminded of it every time you walk into your studio and to almost be confronted by it constantly in this I space. I know, it, it, is, it is quite shocking, but also it's very, like I've been very emotional um, because you know performance, you do the performance, but then not all the time you have the chance to reflect on the piece in a different way. Like documentation can be so many things, right? And there's so many elements that go, at least in my performance, go from costume, um, the transformation of my body when I become Pita the Cuban doll. And all those objects can also um, express the moment um, when I did the performance and also what it means. So I have these arrangements on the wall that is a reflection also of the piece, but it's a new piece because it was never shown uh, that way. So it's really incredible. I guess we should really begin our conversation with uh, Kukita the Cuban Doll, um, your alter ego who appears in most of your performances. Uh, and for listeners who have never seen Kukita, uh, I'll briefly describe her. So Kukita's face is rarely the same. Her eyes and lips are created from magazine cutouts that have been resized and manipulated. She appears almost cartoonish and the bold color of her hair typically matches the color of her skin, hands and socks or shoes. She often wears bright patterned clothing uh, and it's safe to say that Kukita always stands out. 
When I think of the idea of a doll, there are often these passive things to be played with, but your Kukita seems to always be playing with the audience or whoever is watching her at the time. And you've said in the past that uh, Kukita has allowed you to make yourself visible in the United States. And yet I recognize that stepping into the role of Kukita requires you to layer and conceal yourself and your body. Would you be comfortable speaking to the ways in that Kukita has allowed you to liberate yourself and um, render yourself visible? Yes. Um, I guess I should say that Kukita, the Cuban doll, was born in 2018. I immigrated from Cuba to the United States in 2011. There is a seven period of time in where I was, let's say, adjusting myself to the new uh, society that I was part of. And I was looking for um, representation. Where do I fit in into this uh, system? I didn't feel represented that my issues, the things that I was going through, it was relevant to the art that I was looking around me in um, I was doing art at the time. I went to study at the School of the Art Institute and I was having all these thoughts and suddenly people already had preconceived notions about who I was just because I was a Latina, because I was Cuban. Um, and sometimes I didn't fit in the label or the box that um, the United States mainstream uh, sometimes has about us Latinas. And also I was in this um, complicated space in between cultures where you're no longer from Cuba, but you're not also from here as well. So all these thoughts came to me and I was trying to address all these and suddenly I wasn't, I felt that I wasn't being heard. Um, and thinking about how can I just create a different image of myself in where would you see it? you don't have any preconceived notions of who I am and then you can actually see me or hear me. And then Kukita was born, right? Um, Kukita is based on Kukitas, which is a paper doll that I used to play with when I was um, a girl in Havana. Um, it's fair to say that I was, um, I grew up in the 90s. It was a, a very specific moment in, in the culture of Cuba, it was called the special period. It was a great economic depression after the collapse of the Soviet Union, who was the main sponsor of Cuba for many, many decades. So the crisis was really deep and we didn't have anything. We didn't have electricity. We didn't have clothing, food. Uh, there was a scarcity in everything. So my doll was a paper doll and it was Kukita. In the many, many hours that we didn't have electricity, the only thing that I had was my body, my imagination, and a paper doll. So this connected to me somehow. It came like a vision, you'd say. And I started to cut um, what I was doing with Kukita. You, you, put, you cut the paper, you cut the clothing, and you start changing and dressing her. And I just started doing that from the magazines. I cut eyes, I cut lips, and suddenly I put it on my face. And I start playing around with this idea. And um, I liked it. Kukita, the first performance that I did was in February 2018. And it was with a piece, Monument to the Great um, Living Artist, which was for me um, a performance that really changed my history here in 
my history, my story here in the United States and for sure into the art world. From that moment on, I felt a connection. Um, I felt like the audience felt very connected with her story. I started to have these interactions with the audience who was incredible because what she was telling, many people related to. Not just Latinas, not just Cubans. Anyone who suffered from um, a displacement in anywhere, anyone who doesn't belong to a place and feel like an outsider, you don't necessarily need to be an immigrant. Many people feel that way. So she had many ways to connect with people in different um, levels of experiences. And that's been incredible. And I think the reason also so many people are, are drawn to your work and to Kukita as well is that you really embody and are able to convey the experience of what is it like to exist in limbo, to exist in the space of, of unbelonging. I, th- I, th- I think you've spoken a lot about too. And, and what does that feel like and what does that look like to also almost like find a way to exist outside that or build a space for yourself in your body where you can exist outside of that, exist outside of these other categories or expectations that people are thrusting on you. Absolutely. It took me a while, you know, because when you come from Cuba to the United States, think about Cuba, this uh, socialist place. Let's call it socialist. It's something else, but let's say that. Um, And then United States is the enemy, right? I was growing up all the time thinking that United States is this and that. And then you just wish to be here because in the space that you're living in, it's so terrible, so oppressive. And you say, well, I want to go to the enemy because I want to be free. And then you come here and you are part of a problem that you not even understand, right? There is a race issues. There is um, social issues that I am part of without even me wanting to be part of, right? It took me some time to understand um, sort of what my role could be and um, what the layers and complexities were among the different uh, social groups that we live in here. It's very complicated. I'm still figuring it out. <laughs> do you feel, what do you feel like when you put on Kukita's mask or uh, as, as you're donning the costume and walking outside as Kukita? Do you feel a certain power um, when you are performing as her? I feel so free. Um, I think one of the first interviews that I um, did related to this character, um, someone asked me the same question and I said, the difference between Kukita and I is that Kukita Kiwondo lives and exists in freedom. I, I don't. So she allows me to feel that freedom for the moments that I am embodying her. And it's the most incredible feeling, but not just me. Because I also work with other performers who embody Kukita Kiwondo. And the common expression or reflection after the performance is, I feel so free. This is incredible. Kukita's body, her spirit offers this like momentary escape from the restrictions of the current world and society that, that, that we're all moving through. And also as a, as a woman, because she introduces herself as a woman. She identifies herself as a woman. Um, and I think also thinking about the burden that women we have, uh, I think she plays with all of that and she makes her own statement of this is who I am and 
I am beautiful. I love myself. And this is my scenario. Just look at me and enjoy it. And I, I think so much of what you achieve with, through Kukita as well is subverting standards of beauty, of subverting um, these also like very Western uh, standards of, of what it means to look like or be a woman and the way that you shape shift and play with, with her face and with her costumes. And these were some of your self portraits that you did as Kukita, um, the untitled Nine Kukitas and also untitled Mommy Yankee. And there's this like brazen and boldness to it as well. And this, this playfulness and humor um, that, that comes through your work. I never thought of humor with my work because I'm very serious. I'm a Capricorn. So Capricorns, we are very serious. <laughs> um, but um, everyone was saying, oh, you're, it started with the clothing. Your clothing is so, it has so much humor. Um, and I said, if this is not funny, I don't see this funny at all. But then I started to understand that it was um, a playfulness with the idea of the absurd. What is the real? What is reality? And I was totally uh, playing with those um, concepts, right? And it took me a while to understand that there was a lot of humor. And now I embrace it and I enjoy it. Um, I always like to be very provocative. I would say that the humor is very connected to provocation. And through humor also, I make people reflect on things by not being very harsh um, or because my subjects can be very down. If you look at it in a way, it, it, it deals with trauma, with pain, um, with politics and how heavy on the individual can be. And those subjects are really hard to take in, but you have to find ways in where um, the context is in a way fun and playful. Could you also speak a little bit to your background in fashion and when you decided to not necessarily diverge, but focus more specifically on performance and visual art? Totally. Um, I started doing costumes since I was 15 years old. I found um, through my image, I could protest without having to speak. And that um, rebel spirit um, helped me to think about ways in where I can communicate with others without having to have a sign on the street and making a protest. Because you have to be very smart with the Cuban government because they take you to jail, they follow you, and they can make your life very, very difficult. So that relationship with clothing, it was very strong and very intimate from a very early uh, age. When I moved to United States, I studied fashion in the School of the Art Institute. I always have loved, loved clothing. I feel protected. I feel empowered. I feel like I can uh, express my individuality, especially coming from a place in where everyone should look the same and follow rules. It was my my way to say that I am different and I like it. So then you get into the profession. And I worked in fashion for about, in New York for two years. And then in Chicago, I studied. The thing is, like, I got into fashion enough to know that it wasn't my place. I have nothing bad to say about it. I loved it. I think it's amazing. But I felt like 
it's just about the surface. And when I say it, it's about the surface, I mean it's, it's just the body. It doesn't extend from that, even if you have the most incredible ideas, it just stay here. And I felt like I needed to express more and work with more mediums, that it was just not clothing and a mannequin or a model. And performance, it's been always in my life. Um, and I said, okay, this is the time in making a decision, a choice. And I was walking on the Guggenheim because this, this was real. Uh, this was a revelation I had in 2000, I think it was 16 or 17. It was the, the show of this artist, uh, what's her name? Mm, Agnes Martin. I went to, uh, it was my birthday, and I thought a gift for me is going to the Guggenheim and see the show because I absolutely adore her work. And I was walking around, and suddenly I entered in a room, and it was a video of her um, working on the studio when she moved to New Mexico. And she was talking, someone was talking to her, and she was like painting and moving around. Nothing exceptional happened in the video. But I just saw her and I was like, okay, I want to be this. I want to be an artist. And that was it. Also, because you brought the Guggenheim, I was reminded of, of your series of, of public protests uh, and, and performances, No Me Pongan en lo Oscuro, Do Not Bury Me in Darkness. Uh, and I'll just give listeners a little bit of an intro to this, this work. Uh, so this work is an ongoing series of unannounced performative actions that have occurred outside famous art institutions where you and, and fellow collaborators call attention to the invisibility and erasure of Latinx artists from the art world. And so you perform this work at um, Art Basel Miami, MoMA PS1, The Met, The Guggenheim, MoMA, and The Whitney. And in these performances, you appear as Kukita alongside collaborators who you have dressed in similar masks and clothing, uh, and I love the outfits, the shirts and leggings that have the multicolored outline of a middle finger that you can't necessarily see from far away, but as you get mm -hmm. closer, it, it's more apparent. Uh, and the costumes also include this large like phallic piece that, that sort of spills out from between the performer's legs. And in all the images that I've seen of, of the different um, actions, the performers stand in this straight line and, and sort of look silently and stare out um, at, at anyone who, who may walk by. The first performance from, from the series occurred in fall 2020. What motivated you to, to devise this work and create these actions, particularly during that moment in the, in the pandemic? Yes, the pandemic was a moment of shift for me in a way, well, for everyone, I guess. Um, there was a discussion that performance was over, that we won't be able to perform again. And many people, well, oh, most people, we were in our apartments. We couldn't uh, go out. And I felt like, um, why wouldn't go and make a performance on the street? Um, and I've been thinking of this idea for quite some time. Um, I felt like Latinx women, um, we were not represented in all our diversity. Uh, within the mainstream, you ask yourself, why is that no many of Latinx women are in the history of art? When you know from what we are doing now, there are so many fellow artists that are working and they're so amazing. 
And my question is, are we going to be in 20, 30 years part of the history? Some other girl like me who was looking for someone who speak where she was going through, is she going to find it? Because I couldn't find it. But they are here. And they've been here forever. But we don't know it. So that thought, it, it was flying around my head and I said, we have to do something related to this and call attention to this problem. And it came to me that the best way was doing these um, actions in front of the museums or institution spaces that holds a lot of responsibility for what history is and how it's written. So in 2020, along with the Immigrant Artist Biennial, they invite me. I was part of the biennial um, in the exhibition show in the gallery, let's say. But Katya, which is um, Katya Krakowski, which is someone that I absolutely adore. She said, let's do a performance. Um, and what do you want to do? And I said, well, I want to do this because I've been thinking about it. And I think it's time to do it. And she said, I love it. Let's do it. And we went to the Whitney and everything just started from there. How did people react uh, to your presence and the presence of your collaborators in those spaces? It was phenomenal. If you want to feel good about your work, <laughs> go to the street. Um, it, was, it was great. People were very curious. They wanted to know. At the beginning, I didn't put any um, a message. Um, I wanted just the presence. That was my initial thought. Uh, but there were so many questions, you know, they were asking me, um, and we are, we're not talking to the audience. We are um, standing still, not moving, very stoic, um, very related to the women who were um, fighting for voting at the beginning of 20th century, um, following that route of, we can't talk, but we are here and we're present. You don't want to listen to me, but I'm here and you are looking at me. But since the response of the audience were so incredible and they gathered around us and they wanted to know more, they were asking the photographer or the video person uh, because I am actually always performing. So I couldn't talk to them. So then by the action number five at MoMA PS1, we decided to uh, put a text, a reflection of why we were there. And that followed our battle which we also had some uh, signs and we're walking around and, and all that. Yes. And I, I love the signs uh, that you created. Um, mm -hmm. I think this was an excerpt from the one that was at Art Basel, but uh, dear art gallery owners, we encourage you to represent and show more Latinx female artists or how many Latinx women artists have had one person exhibitions at MoMA PS1? Zero to this day. <laughs> that was in 2021 when MoMA PS1 was showing the Great in your exhibition. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which is shocking. I mean, this year they got a little better trying to include diversity. Um, but um, that exhibition is so problematic. I don't know if you have seen it. When I just moved to New York in 2011, it was up. That was the first time, I think, around that time. I don't want to mistake with year. When I walk around it, I said, this can be real. We're in New York. Where are the Latinx women in, or anyone? 
it was a why show. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think, again, what you accomplished so brilliantly was bringing to light those hypocrisies and those contradictions uh, in a way where people could engage, they could step up and read the sign, they could learn more. And it's something that I'm sure has stuck with so many people who encountered um, your work and encountered um, that, that public action. There were incredible um, communications after conversations. People were really, um, were really listening and reading and talking among them and asking themselves the same questions. You know, during the action, you and the other performers would stand straight, you were stoic, you were silent. And that's something that I've seen in some of your other works as well, where your body almost transforms from being not just a performer, but moving into the, the, the world of, of being a sculpture as well, a physical sculpture. This is something that I saw in Meditating My Way Out of Capitalism and Communism, uh, 12,410 Days of Isolation, which you performed in uh, Art and Odd Places, I think back in 2018. And then also in, in 90 Miles, uh, which you performed twice uh, in both Kentucky, I believe, and then here in New York at uh, Um And so in the first performance and in, in meditating, you, you sat on the ground near subway stations along 14th Street, and there was a sign posted near you that said, Hello, my name is Kugita the Cuban Doll. I was born in Havana and now I live in New York. I identify as a woman. I find myself surrounded by thorns. Also, I bleed every month. I will meditate my way out of capitalism and communism for 30 minutes. Join me if you want. Please don't touch me. Uh, I guess my first question for, for this piece, and I, I've seen all, all the photos of, of you from this work and, and also the, the short video documentation, and you are sat perfectly poised and still in your meditation pose uh, and and how, what was the experience of, of going through that day and did, did people stop to join you? Did people try to speak with you? And and how did people engage with, with your body in that very, very public space? Very scary. It was very scary in a way because they wasn't sure I was human. So they wanted to come very close to me to see if I was breathing. And that terrifies me because I have my eyes covered. Usually Kukita has eyes, but I, I make little holes so I can see. But in this meditation, I took it by heart and I was, I was not looking, my eyes were closed. So it was my trust in the city, in the city of New York. Now that I am talking this out loud, it came to me, these thoughts for the first time. It was my love for New York and the trust I have. Uh, the interaction with the audience was scary, but beautiful. Uh, they were reading, they were talking, they were asking me or this being that they were not sure who it was, uh, what was happening but they were enjoying everything that they were looking at. I have a memorable moment in where two men, they were talking to each other and they were reading the sign and one says to the other, but she bleeds every month, why? And the other said, because of her period. <laughs> And the other said, are you sure? 
And he said, yes. But the other said, I think she is hurt. That was, I could just get up and leave. It was, it was enough. It was incredible. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And in in your work in 90 Miles, I've I've seen uh, some documentation from the performance you did at Chishama. Uh, mm-hmm. so this is a work where you're sitting atop um, an open suitcase that's filled with keepsakes and notes, and you also have these uh, blown up like globe balloons as well. And mm-hmm. and you're frozen uh, and seated as Kukita. And there's this one photo where there's a man who's who's come so, so close to your face. It's not quite touching you. Do you find that when you're in gallery spaces and performing that that people forget that that you are a person performing and, and treat you as an object? They do. With this performance, it happened the first time. I had no idea. I wasn't really thinking of... Um, having a conversation about being a, living a sculpture, right? Um, of being a human sculpture. Um, I just didn't move because I was, I thought it was the best way to spend the 57 minutes. Um, it was related to the time that took my flight from Havana to Miami. So I was sitting in the suitcase with all the belongings that I brought from Havana to United States when I knew I wasn't coming back which everything has emotional values related. It was no functional um, object whatsoever. I not even, I, I don't think I not even brought uh, underwear. It was, it was crazy. Um, so when you're in the plane, you're basically sitting, right? So that was my initial thought. I've been sitting here for 57 minutes and that's it. So I was doing that and suddenly it started people coming, uh, walking around. And I hear someone saying, where is the artist? I want to meet her. And the gallery owner was, she's performing, she's right there. And she said, what? Is that a real person? And she said, yes. And then they come closer to see me breathing. And I realized it was really interesting, the idea of being a doll, like really a doll, right? Um, And also this idea of um, making your body feel pain, because when you're not moving, all your body changes in a way that everything starts to feel very painful. I don't know if you have uh, experienced this before, but after I do a performance for so long in where I'm not moving, it takes me a while to come back to who I am. So I said, this is interesting, the idea of not moving, it adds another layer of meaning to the character and also to my work and everything I'm doing. So with that experience, I when I did the performance the second time, it was no surprise to me that many people thought the same thing. Also, I'm not moving, but I'm breathing. You know, sometimes I move a little because I am a human. <laughs> And it's shocking to me how even I do that for a few seconds, maybe, um, they still believe I am not a person. And also the liberty they feel in touching me, in wanting to handle me in the way that you handle a doll, right? Yeah, the the assumption of, of ownership over 
over the objects that they encounter in the space and, and, and viewing you as something that they can manipulate at will. This brings me to uh, one of your more recent performances, uh, Pain of Cuba, Body I Am, which I've watched several times. You're not the only one. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that performance. It's, it's really stunning. In this performance, you enter into a dialogue with Ana Mendieta um, after you dreamt of Ana three times. And so you begin this work by lying on a bed of sand, and projected behind you is Mendieta's uh, Silhueta Sangrienta, which translates to bloody silhouette. So in the audience, we repeatedly see Mendieta attempting to insert her body into a landscape. Um, and of course, the, the performance is also titled after one of Mendieta's poems of the same name. And we hear your voice reciting uh, Mendieta's words at the beginning. In Cuba, when you die, the earth that covers us speaks. But here, covered by the earth whose prisoner I am, I feel death palpitating underneath the earth. My whole body is filled with want of Cuba. I go on to make my work upon the earth. To go on is victory. I just wanted to ask first because I think it really centers and grounds the work. What does this poem mean to you? What do Ana Mendieta's words mean to you? It's a lot. Anna is probably the only um, artist that I know. We were talking about representation, right? When I was dealing with so many things and I was trying to find an answer. Um, because I always knew about Anna, right? Anna is a big figure into the arts and is a Cuban pride, so we're all very proud. And when I was living in Cuba and studying our history, um, we didn't really exactly study her work, but we knew about her. And for me, at that time, she was this um, icon, feminist icon, right? Uh, who did body work and she was very famous and, um, and, and she died very young and very tragically. That was it. I never thought more about that. But then after I was living in here um, and Carmelita Tropicana and Ella Troyano were dear friends and one of my idols, um, they were having some action related to the exhibition uh, Radical Women in Brooklyn Museum. And they want me to reflect on Anna's work. So then I was, uh, you know, getting ready to do that. And I was looking at her work again and suddenly everything changed. I started to see her work for the first time and understand the pain, the trauma, the displacement, the not belonging, this absolute need for healing. And it spoke to me very, very strong. And then I started to feel this um, peace like I had someone to talk to. And um, I didn't know much about, well, I reflected on, on that uh, in the exhibition and I found this incredible phrase that she said that American feminism is a white middle-class movement that she said at the, um, the end of the 70s, which is so bold. She was in the midst of it, right? She was exhibiting in air gallery and having that statement is like, 
wow. And I feel the same way, right? So many years happen after, and I still don't feel the voices of Latin, Latinx women, other voices in this um, feminism movement in a way. So I, I share all of that in the exhibition, and it was beautiful. But then um, I started to have dreams with her, which is very surprising to me because I never met her. Obviously, when she died, I was not even born, or I was just born. I think I had one year old, something. And I, I, I'm not family to her. But then I started to investigate about her life, and she was very spiritual. Um, I went to a conversation with her niece, a presentation of her work that she was doing about Anna's work. And she mentioned to the audience that she also has these connections with her through dreams. So it didn't feel so foreign. I feel like the connection is very organic because we have had the same experience almost. So I started to have dreams with her and I didn't know exactly what that meant. But that led me to research about her life. And I found this beautiful poem. And I think it's a beautiful metaphor, not just to the Cuban diaspora, but everyone who is feeling this um, need to connection to the land that they were from. Because not even Cuba, the country or the people or the government is the land. What you actually miss is the land. It's just the streets and the tree and the color. It is very strange to explain, but it's very connected to the land. So that made me have this conversation with her work. Um, the Colby Museum and the University of Colby, they approached me and they wanted to um, that I present a performance there. And I went to the archives and I found this work of her. And I said, I would love to have a conversation with her work. Uh, is this possible? And they said, sure. And um, there's a, one point in the performance you say, uh, I'm paraphrasing, but you essentially say, it took me coming here and experiencing the pain of, of being here and of being here as, as someone who is marginalized, who is other, who is woman, who is Latinx, to understand you and to, to see you, you being Anna. Did you find, you know, the act of performing this piece to be restorative in, in some way? I almost collapsed at the end. It was, uh, I was, I was warned of this to happen by spiritualists and people who works with energies. They told me to be very cautious. And I didn't listen that well. <laughs> I went ahead and I do it anyways. And by the end of the performance, I felt this energy through my body that I couldn't control. I got a bit scared because no one in the audience was going to be able to help me. And then I just tried to slow down a bit and I sort of exit abruptly at the end because I was going to fall down. It took me some time to recover. It was intense. And I think also the piece, I, I can only assume, brings up so much because you are recounting these dreams that you've had, 
the first dream you you mentioned that so you you ask Anna what do I have to do and she hugs you and it's very it, you know feels very tender and the second dream you come across a naked woman lying on the street covered by white flowers and Anna's guarding the naked woman um, and then in the third dream Anna's alive and you're in a car on, on your way to see her to hear yourself right because you were the narrator of the piece recounting these stories and then to complete the actions of the performance, which you, you sort of beautifully spread across these red flower petals into the shape or into the silhouette of, of a person. And then you proceed to dance with, with such energy and force uh, that I can assume like wear and, and take so much from, you know, out of yourself. Absolutely. Um, also the song that I put at the end, it's, um, it's a song for Yemaya, which is the goddess of the sea. She's the one who let you cross the sea safely. But she's also uh, the one who has seen many Cubans die crossing the sea. And that dance is also a connection to Anna, but it's also honoring all the ones who have died coming here to find a dream. Sitting with that loss and recognizing their spirits as well and bringing that into the space and into the audience. It's a lot of energies for tiny body. I'm very small. <laughs> I know we're coming up to the end of our conversation, Yali, but thank you so much for, for sharing so much of your energy and spirit uh, with me and, and with us uh, for whoever's listening. What are some things that you're looking forward to uh, working on uh, the rest of the summer at your studio or um, any directions that you want to point the audience towards to, to follow you. Yes, thank you. First, I want to thank you. It's been a lovely conversation. Um, you're a good listener. I like that. Um, I am working right now in a, in a performance that I'm going to do on um, August 3. Yes. It's part of a residency called Siren Art in Asbury Park uh, Beach in New Jersey. So I am working on the costume. I guess I forgot to say something important. The costume is always the foundation of my work. So everything comes in addition with the costume. The costume uh, comes first and then everything connects. So I'm working on the studio on the costume and then I am going to have an open studio in October, my first open studio in EFA. And I invite you and everyone to go. I will definitely, definitely be there. <laughs> and for listeners, you can also find Yali at her website, www.yaliromagosa.org. Or you can also find her on Instagram as at Kukita the Cuban doll. Thank you so, so, so much. And I'm just looking forward to everything that's to come. And I'm feeling so grateful and so fed by our discussion, Yali. Thank you. This episode of Open Studios was produced by me, Asia Stewart. If you are interested in watching incredible performance work, I highly recommend that you check out PerformView. Head to www.performview.com.